Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Psalm 65. As we continue our series in the Lord's Prayer, we're going to talk about, again, just this idea of uh, what does it mean, uh, why does it matter, and then we're going to look at Psalm 65 and as an example of how we pray uh, for daily bread. And um, I just want to, before we jump into this, I um, want to speak a little bit to those who are watching uh, online on Facebook or YouTube or uh, whatever. Uh, as we looked at the attendance for last week, more people were watching than were in person, and that's okay. We just want to minister to as many people as possible. But I want you to know that we are doing our best to reach out and connect and find different ways to connect and check in on you. And so you can help us this week. Um, here's my challenge to you. I just, I want, I want you to hear, we love you. Um, we're praying for you. And so this week, if you would email or call into the office or something like that, and give me one thing you're thankful for and one thing you're praying for. I'd love to hear that and praise God along with you and pray along with you. Um, we are distant, but we are still part of the body of Christ. And so uh, we appreciate you. Thanks for your faithfulness. Uh, thank you for watching and, and checking in. Thanks for those of you who are here. And uh, so we are, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. And um, again, just, just saying, you know, many of us grew up in the church. We're encouraged to pray. Maybe nobody ever taught us specifically how to pray. I'm trying to help us to grow in that idea of prayer, how we do it. Uh, regularly and what it means and, and how it's more effective, those type of things. We're thinking about that. And I think for us, especially as Westerners, we struggle between the idea of praying that God would provide and providing for ourselves. Where does, where does that line come? And one example for that, uh, when I was in high school, uh, my senior year, I was on the student body leadership and I went to a Christian school and so I was the chapel coordinator for the school. I just, even way back then, wanted to go into ministry. And so I was, I was organizing all the chapel speakers during the week and other things that, that I was responsible for. But part of the ASB, uh, the Associate Student Body, I, we, you know, there was the president and the vice president and the treasurer and a couple other. And we, every year, uh, I believe it was around Christmas, we would do a canned food drive. And so I was part of the, you know, be in charge of this canned food drive. Now we had about 500 students at this Christian school. And so we set a goal that two cans of food per student was over, just over a thousand cans of food that we wanted to raise. Not that much, you know, it seems like now, but back then it seemed like a lot. And we were going to raise for this canned food drive. And so we had this discussion. Well, how should we do this? And uh, the, uh, the president of our, of our group said, well, I think we should go ask the principal if he'll give the, the class, right, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, class that gives the most canned foods a half day off school. And so um, they, they got this thing. So he and the treasurer went off to go talk to the principal. And I was sitting there and our advisor goes, Dave, what do you think? And the vice president was there with me. And, and I go, it just seems bad that we're giving to get something. Like, I think we should pray that God's going to provide and then trust God that he's going to provide. And so, you know, Christian school advisor is like, oh, really? That sounds like a great idea, Dave, you know, right? And so what are you going to do with that? And so then, so we barge into the principal's office now. And we're like, 
no, we think we should do this. And who's, who's the principal going to go with, right? Half day off school or the prayer guy. And so they're going with us. There's a little bit of division now in our group. And, and so we begin praying and part of our thing was we'll prove that the student body can do this. And honestly, the school hadn't given that many canned foods in the past. It was like, you know, a couple hundred. And so halfway through our weeks of doing this, we had half the food. So we were on, we were on Plan Dave now. And uh, it came to the last day of the canned food drive. And I'm praying, I'm praying, and I'm telling people to pray. And we were about a, a little over 100 cans short of our goal. And here's my thought. I can't let God fail. I don't know where that thought came from, but I had that thought. So the next morning, the day of the, the final count, I got up early in the morning, went to a bunch of grocery stores and collected over 100 cans of food by myself in a VW bug. It was just me and cans. Now, just so you know, we got well over 1,200 cans of food. You know, we didn't need my food, personal food drive. But we struggle with that, don't we? Prayer versus trusting God versus prayer, me just jumping out and doing it. And sometimes, I know for me, I will go, oh man, I would really like that thing. And I begin to pray for it. Whatever that thing is, it can be small, it can be big. And then as I'm praying for it, that thing that I want, I start to think of reasons why, man, I don't just want it, but I think I need it. God, I really need it now. And then, you know, the other things that I don't have are really starting to not work and they're not that good and I'm really bothered by it. And pretty soon I go, I think God wants me to have it and I just go out and get it. But really all I've done is just convince myself so what does it mean to really pray for provision? And so that's what we want to look at today. Give us this day our daily bread. Um, most of us have more than daily bread in our house. So what does it mean? Uh, why does it matter? And then how do we do it? I think the question we asked with uh, what does it mean is are we just talking about bread here? If you do a search on one of those Bible programs for the word bread, bread is mentioned over 350 times in the Bible. In fact, one person said, you could tell the entire story of the Bible just with bread. And I said, no, you can't. Yes, you can. You can tell the entire story of the Bible. God creates everything, right? And we have the fall and in that speech, in that judgment speech, God says to Adam, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. When, when God created everything, there, there was work, but there wasn't toil. When, with the fall comes this, this fight against having daily bread. And as the story goes on, we see God's people. And you remember Esau sells his entire birthright for some red stew and bread. His birthright uh, equals his identity, his inheritance, his family. He was willing to give it all up because he was hungry one day. Israel ends up in Egypt because of lack of bread. Israel leaves Egypt with unleavened bread. 
God feeds his people in the wilderness with bread from heaven. They go into the promised land flowing with milk and honey and they disobey God and they divide kingdoms, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Israel goes into captivity. Judah goes into captivity. And the book of Lamentations is a lament about the fall of Jerusalem. And they say this, all her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am displeased. They go on in chapter five, we get our bread at the peril of our lives. When Jesus comes on the scene and he's doing all these miracles, they they say, well, show us bread from heaven. And Jesus says what? I am the bread of life. When Jesus gets his disciples in the upper room before he's crucified, he breaks bread. And he says, this is my body given to you. And it represents his life and his sacrifice. And then those who come into the kingdom will one day celebrate at the marriage supper of the lamb. And there'll probably be some pretty good dinner rolls on the table. And you can walk through the whole story of scripture. And so when we're asking, when Jesus says, pray, Give us this day our daily bread. Is he talking spiritual? Is he talking physical? What does it mean? And so there is definitely in scripture bread as it relates to our physical needs. And so when we come into this last section of the prayer, we we looked at how would be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done. And now we're in give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts and protect us from the evil one. And so there's three Ps here that you can kind of remember the last half of the prayer provision, and then pardon, right? Uh, forgive us, Lord, and then protection. So we're in the provision. This, this part of the prayer is a prayer of provision. And so there's definitely a part of praying for physical needs, and there's a part of praying for spiritual needs as well. We're praying for God's provision. So let me just kind of show you that a little bit more, and then we'll jump into Psalm 65. Why does it matter? Why does this prayer in here, and there's probably for us, this is uncomfortable in the sense of, you know, as you're going through the prayer and you say, give us this day our daily bread, you probably have a loaf of bread, a thing of bagels and some, you know, cream cheese at home. I mean, you've got, you've got food. Most of us have food in our home that if we stopped going to the grocery store, we could probably still eat for a long time just cleaning out the freezer and stuff like that. Now, for other people, uh, a large portion of our population, especially now, are are food uh, fearful right now. So this might be an actual prayer. So so when we pray, uh, give us this day our daily bread, maybe we feel uncomfortable with that. We are praying for the necessities of life. Now, I want to just say that one more time. We're praying for the necessities, right? I shared earlier, there's this process that my mind will go through. I want this. I need this. And when we make that change between something I want and now it's something I need. Now, just think, most of you can picture this. Just so you don't just think I'm the weirdo here. Right? You've got something in your home. 
and it's a wall, okay? And it's just, it has been painted a while, and, and you kind of go, man, I really would like to change that. And then, boy, it's, I didn't realize, now that I've noticed, it's really ugly. And then, you know, your, your spouse comes in and says, you've got to paint that. I mean, it just all of a sudden went from something small to something like, this has got to, and we, we move ourselves in that. When we're praying for this, we're praying for necessities. Now, I would say also the spiritual aspect, we're praying for guidance from the word of God. The word of God is often referred to in that idea of bread. Remember, Jesus said, right, uh, man does not live, right, on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Quoting that, I'm kind of a little off, right? But you get the idea. The idea is this feeds us. Now, I've said this as a pastor many times, and I don't mind saying it again. If this is the only time you're eating spiritually during the week, you are malnutritioned. You are not getting enough to eat spiritually. So we are praying from the guidance from God's word. When we pray for this type of provision, we're also praying for the participation of the body of Christ. Now you say, whoa, where are you getting that? Look at this verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the cup of blessing, this is Paul speaking about communion, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not the participation in the blood of Christ? We take the juice, is that not participating in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Now, body of Christ, physically his body, body of Christ also represents the family. Where's, where is Paul getting this idea? When we think of bread from heaven, God is not just feeding his people, he's providing for them, he is walking with them, it's a community. And we're going to get to this. Some of you are waiting for me to get to us. But it's not a prayer, give me my daily bread. That's not what it says, is it? It's give us our daily bread. The prayer is communal. If you're praying for physical needs and you say, give us our daily bread, and you have daily bread, then the question becomes, whose prayer are you answering and giving bread to others? Because it's a community. This is a communal prayer. This is not a prayer that I go pray alone. This is a prayer that we pray as a community. And when you pray... Give us our daily bread. We have to be looking around going, where does that bread need to be distributed? It's inviting us into the process. Now, when we look at this idea of communion and the bread, we, we have to also understand that we're praying in a sense for the provision of salvation as well. We're, we are looking for God to intervene in our physical, spiritual, and emotional needs. It, it becomes a prayer that we just can't skip over and say, 
I got enough bread? Because the question then becomes, do other people have enough bread? And what about my spiritual needs? And what about the spiritual needs of others? What about my relational needs? And the relational needs of others? It's seeing what God has done, given me, blessed me with, and how I bless others. All right, jump over to Psalm 65, and we'll look at an example of this. How do we do it? To the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion. And to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness, O God, our salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. The one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell in the ends of the earth are at awe of your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. Your water, uh, it, it furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. You can kind of see in the psalm, it's broken up into three parts. It's praising God for his salvation or his provision for spiritual uh, fulfillment. It's praising God for his awesome deeds or um, I I see in here how he is meeting the emotional needs. Uh, He is putting people at peace. They're shouting for joy. And then praising God for his abundant harvest in verses uh, nine and following, talking about how God waters, and prepares the grain and how abundant all this is. And then twice in this psalm, he calls for a praise of shout. So praising God, how God provides. Uh, he provides spiritually, so we praise God for his salvation. Just notice uh, in this first four verses here, that he is worthy of our commitments. Praise is due to you, God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. Um, I was really thinking about that verse um, as I'm reading through scripture, and, and uh, it's just amazing how many people make vows to God or they make promises, and then they don't fulfill them. 
one that I came across this week, and it just drove me crazy. I told you last week, I'm reading through Jeremiah. And coming uh, to this point in Jeremiah, people have been taken to captivity in Babylon, and there's this remnant in Jerusalem. And they come to Jeremiah and they say, please inquire of the Lord what he wants us to do. Um, you know, th- things are a mess. What, what should we do? Whatever, you, whatever God says we will do, so be it to us all these bad things. If we don't do what you say that God says to do, what are we supposed to do? And Jeremiah says, I will go inquire of the Lord. And he goes and inquires of the Lord. And all the Lord says of the people, he says, just stay here. You're here. I'll provide for you. But whatever you do, don't go to Egypt. I thought, oh man, finally a good part of Jeremiah. Oh, some relaxation. What do the people do? You liar! That's not what God said. We're going to Egypt. <laughs> it was like, what just happened? I mean, how many times? The people in scripture say, I make a commitment. God, I am praying to you. Lord, what is it you want me to do? Not that. And we have to be careful with what we say in prayer. We have to be careful what we say to people in the body of Christ. I will do this for you. We, We need to be careful with our vows. And what he says is, praise is due to you. And to you, vows be performed. In other words, commitments you make should be fulfilled. He's worthy of our praise in verse 2. Now look at verse 3 with me, because this, this reads really easy for us, but it's a unique verse. It says, when iniquities prevail against me. Iniquities, another word for sin, are our failings of, of God and his rules and his laws. The iniquities it's a darker word. Like sin means to miss the mark. Iniquity is like just all that junk that comes upon us when we sin. You atone for our transgressions. Now why this is unique is this is Old Testament and the word atone is only used three times in the Psalms. And many people said that this was probably a psalm that was sung before one of the, uh, probably before one of the grain offerings, right? Because you've got all this abundance and grain mentions later in the text. And right before that was the, the Feast of Atonement. So they're saying he's tying the atonement and the, the harvest together. Uh, but what's interesting here is at atonement, the, the Feast of Atonement, the people bring something to God. Or the, or the priest does the things with the sacrifices. But that's not what it says here. He says, you atone for our transgressions. This is very forward thinking here of David. God, we, we are sinners and it's not the atonements that we bring, it's the atonement that you bring that provides salvation. David is right. And in verse 4, he says, Blessed are those ones you choose and bring near. He chooses and brings us near, and he satisfies. We will be satisfied with the goodness. So, listen, first of all, God's provisions in salvation. What he has done to atone for our sins in the work, in the person of Jesus Christ. 
The fact that you and I were separated from God, that we were covered in iniquity, that our, we were separated from God. There was nothing that we could do to save ourselves. There was, you know, when we talk about prayer of provision, God provide or do I provide, there's nothing you can do. When we just think of his provision in salvation, it's enough to praise him for the rest of our life. But it doesn't stop there. We go on and we praise God for his, verse five, awesome deeds. You answer us with righteousness, O God of salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. It says in verse six, he raises the mountains. Now, and he also calms the seas. Now, let me just say something here. Mountains were places where you went up to worship. Seas were places of, of chaos. And what he says is like the worship places, the bad places, all those things you're in control of. And then in verse eight, he says, he quiets the earth so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are at awe of your signs. They come to this place of of quietness before God and it leads to shouts. So we praise God for his spiritual provision. We praise God for his his emotional or his his needs that are met to us uh, in a miraculous way, the peace that he gives us. And then we praise God for his his abundant harvest. Now, there's some really neat imagery here. Uh, You know, you visit the earth, you water it, okay? You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full, You provide their grain. Here's the bread in case you missed it, right? Where do we get bread from? You've prepared it. It's not very farmer-friendly here, okay? God is doing all the work. You water its furloughs abundantly, settling in its ridges, softening it with showers, blessing its growth. You crown the year with bounty. Now look at this one. I love this. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. What is that talking about? Have you ever been on a trail that has ruts on it? Um, I mean, just really like hasn't been graded in a long time. Just in, Now picture back when not only did we not have payments, all these things were, and then you had, a, you had the wagon. Right, And those chariots, those wheels just kind of, they just grind into the ground. You know, it even happens on our freeways sometimes. You just get so worn out in places. Now, what happens when it rains? Those wagon tracks just fill with water. And the psalmist here has this picture of God's abundance just flowing in a positive way through the wagon tracks, which I would imagine when you're actually living through the heavy rains and the water coming down the wagon tracks, it's not a wonderful thing. But he's picturing the abundance there. So God waters, God provides grain, God gives abundance. Now, I would challenge you here a little bit um, on our view of give us this day our daily bread. Because you and I live in a world where some have and some have not. And most 
people have a worldview that thinks there's not enough and therefore they're living with that worldview that there's not enough. And that's actually not a biblical worldview. The biblical worldview is that there's plenty. There's actually an abundance. The problem is it's not distributed well because of sin. And even Jesus comes in with this concept. He lived in a place where people did actually need daily bread. People probably only ate two times a day. You would go to the uh, field with leftover bread from the night before and something else, some fruit or something. And then there would be a meal in the evening if you were doing well. Okay, so give us this day our daily bread. That covered you for that night and into the afternoon tomorrow. But Jesus didn't approach the world that way. He believed in an abundance. And there's a really great video at the Bible Project on generosity. That's the topic, generosity, and how uh, Jesus' worldview is different from our worldview. They don't use that term, but that's kind of what they're saying. I would encourage you to watch that. So the idea is that there's abundance. So that when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Those with abundance now have a responsibility. Those whom God has blessed now need to be a blessing to others. So how do we respond? Um, We see that God provides. How are we to to respond in that? Um, Well, first of all, Uh, Before we get to that, I just love the fact that there was a shout, very non-Baptist there uh, in verses 13b and verse 8, but we'll let you off the hook on that one. How do we respond? We work and trust. If you go back to the story, in the beginning, God creates everything. He co-leads everything with Adam and Eve there to be co-rulers. And they are to work. Work has always been a story of the Bible. God intends for all of us to work. Work is not evil. Work is good. Now, I'm I'm looking at a few people in their sanctuary. You guys can't see me on screen, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here. But if there's one thing that needs to be emphasized in our society today, there is an idea that work is bad. Work is actually biblical. The idea is that you're to work and you're to trust God to provide. Now, it is very clear that toil and weeds and pain and conflict And struggles are all a part of the fall. And uh, I was listening to a a discussion about this. And so, you know, what we have to imagine is that when Adam planted an apple seed in the garden, he expected an apple tree. There was no worry about that. Today... We got to worry about all sorts of stuff. And so there is a change in that. So we work and we trust. But please hear this. 
If you're praying, give us this day our daily bread and unwilling to work, we're missing something in the cycle. Now, when God provides, we receive and we praise God. We've worked and we've trusted God and God has provided. Don't misunderstand me. You get to receive that. Receive it. But praise God for it. You, well, I, yeah, I know that. No, listen to me. The psalmist says, you watered it. You made it grow. Whatever you receive, God gave you. Whether it's little or it's much, God gave it to you. And you say, but I'm a really good, eh. but I worked harder than other people. Eh. God has gifted me. Eh. You work, you trust God, you receive it, and he gets the praise. He gets the praise. And then we give out. Oh, here's the part of the process we constantly miss. You receive it, you got to share it. And that is out of faith. And the offerings in the Old Testament, folks, I just want, they were faith-inducing. When farmers farmed, God says, you give me the first fruits, which means you are hoping for a second harvest. Now, we live in Portland. We don't often get the second harvest here, except for tomatoes for some reason. We can all eat tomatoes and zucchini as long as we want, right? Right? But, but there's certain things. Man, you've got to get the right growing season to get a second harvest off of that. And so when you give, you are trusting in faith that God is going to continue to provide. It's a giving that hurts, that puts you in a place to trust God. So when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, and we have bread, we praise God, for blessing us, and we look for ways to give out, even at times till it hurts. Here's some application and action. Pray the Lord's Prayer uh, this week, focusing on uh, giving us our bread. And hopefully you, you have some ways to think about that a little bit differently this week. But I think most of us need to work on this idea of work, praise, give. And if I put that out there, work, praise, or give, we're all in different places in life. And so which part do you need to work on? Some of you are retired. Okay, I'm not going back to work, Dave. Well, then you're probably going to need to work on the praising and giving part. Some of the younger folks need to ask you, are you working? You working a full week? You working hard? You're working to the glory of God. I think we could all probably work on the praise part. I just thank you for your provisions. Thank you this day. Thank you for that. 
And the last thing is this. Abundance starts with atonement. You know, as we look at the the movement of this song, the psalmist starts with praising God for his salvation, his atonement. And in that, he sees God's mighty deeds and the way that he works in the nations and the way that he provides bread. And sometimes when you're stuck, when you don't feel like God is providing, I want to go back to that atonement. Have you made your relationship with God right? Have you trusted him for the most important thing? Have you bowed your knee and said, you're king and I will follow you? See, God's abundance starts after atonement. Now, it doesn't always work out just that specifically. But it's amazing that how many times the more we give of ourselves to God, the more he blesses us emotionally, spiritually, relationally, and sometimes physically, not always. But if you're looking at this and you're going, man, life is hard. I'm not making it. I would start with, have you bowed your knee to the king of kings? Because that might be the fight that you're having. You're trying to do it on your own instead of giving your life to the one who loves you deeply and has sacrificed for you greatly. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we have to worship, whether it's here or online. Thank you for your church. Thank you for the gifts that you've given us, God, in a difficult season, a season of sickness, a season of separation, a season of economic worries. We trust in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God, we pray that we wouldn't just circle the wagons and say, how do I take care of myself? but that we would, even in the midst of difficult times, be generous to others. That we would bless people, especially those in the body of Christ. That we would lean into you and trust that you are doing incredible things. God, I pray for those that need to make their relationship with you right, that they would bow their knee before you. That they would recognize Jesus as God come in the flesh, the sacrifice for their sins, risen from the dead, giving new life. The filling of the Spirit that enables us to say no to sin and have a changed life. God, I pray that we would confess our sins and trust in Jesus. And God, I do pray for those around us that are in physical need. I pray, first of all, that we would see them. And second, I pray that you would prompt our heart in how to respond correctly that we would be generous. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.